Colt. Thank you all for being here and leading us today. We appreciate that. God bless you guys. Well, it's great to be here with everyone today. Uh, what a beautiful day God's given to us. And it's great to be here with God's people, to worship together with you all and to open the Word of God together. Of course, this is Super Bowl Sunday. It's also Groundhog Day. I'm not sure how those two things fit together. But every year when it gets around this time, I always get this kind of stuff from people. Uh, what do you call 53 millionaires around the TV watching the Super Bowl? Uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Um, that's my team. So people send me this stuff. Uh, what does a Dallas Cowboy fan do when his team has won the Super Bowl? He turns off the PlayStation 3. Anyway, on and on. I just say, go ahead and get it out of your system if you need to. Uh, one of these days, I'll get my payback, and it's going to be sweet uh, one of these days, whenever that happens. Well, this is uh, first Sunday of the month, and if we celebrate the Lord's Supper these first Sundays. We'll do that at the end of the service, so uh, you can be preparing your heart and your mind as we, we fellowship with the Lord here at the end of the service. Uh, we're going to continue this morning in our study of Second Peter. We began a couple weeks ago um, a new series. We've titled this series, Know and Grow, because uh, really the key word in this book is the word knowledge, and that's also about growing in, in our uh, faith in Jesus Christ. So we, we titled this whole study, Know and Grow. I've titled this morning's message, uh, Learning to Add because it's a message about growing spiritually and adding uh, to our lives and making progress uh, spiritually in the life that God has given to us. Uh, this is the first of actually a two-part message on verses 5 to 7. Uh, we'll finish this, this section next time. But let me begin by reading uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Well, so reads God's inspired and errant word. Well, let's turn to the Lord in prayer this morning before we um, open his word together. Father, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. Father, as we say that name, we're reminded in the song we've just sung what a beautiful name it is, what a powerful name it is, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. We thank you for his mighty name, that he's King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. So, Father, we come humbly as your people here this morning, as those you've graciously called out of darkness into the marvelous light. We come to humbly before you, to bow before you to confess our love for you. And we thank you for that sufficient salvation you've given us through Jesus, that once for all finished work that Jesus accomplished on the cross to purchase our eternal salvation. Father, I know there are many here today with physical needs, ailments, and struggles. Father, I pray that your healing hand would be upon them. I pray for those with emotional needs who may be discouraged and downcast, maybe even in despair today over some situation in life. Father, I pray for those with spiritual needs. All of us have needs spiritually, Father. We need you to help us. We depend upon you. We need you to invade our lives in every area, continue to mature us and build us up and make us more like Christ. Father, help us as a congregation together to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Father, make us today doers of the word, of the scriptures we hear. As we leave here, we'll do it. We'll apply it to our lives. So minister to us now as we look into the mirror of your word. We ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, as you can see here this morning, our text opens with these words, now for this very reason. When you read those words, you ought to ask, well, for what reason, right? Now for this very reason. Well, this reaches back to the verses right before it. And if you're with us last time, you'll remember that we saw in verses 3 and 4 that God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. God has given us faith. He's given us actually the faith to believe the gospel. Then he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. And then he's given us, uh, it says, his great and magnificent, his magnificent and precious promises but through which we access all that God has given to us so that we can be more like Jesus and less like the world. So verses 1 to 4, you could really just say there are, are our riches in Christ. It's the riches that God has given to us. But when we come to verses 5 through 11, and remember this uh, 1 through 11 is one long sentence. So 1 to 4 is our riches, and then 5 through 11, Peter moves from our riches to our responsibility. Uh, we have a responsibility based on the riches God has given to us to be growing spiritually, to be making progress, uh, to be adding upon what God has begun in our lives. And so what I want to do the next three weeks really is look at verses 5 through 11. Now we'll pick up a little more speed after that. I don't want you to think we're going to go through the whole book this slowly, but I've got four main points. I'll go ahead and give them to you to, to look at really verses 5 uh, through 11. And uh, the first one is the start. We're going to look at the start, how this all begins, then the secret to it, then the steps. You can see these steps of, of uh, moral excellence and perseverance and knowledge and so on. And then in verses 8 to 11, we're going to look at the stimulus, uh, what it is that should incentivize us or motivate us to be growing spiritually. So that's going to be our topic for the next three weeks, really looking at spiritual growth and spiritual maturity, how God wants us to be progressing in our spiritual lives to become more and more uh, like Jesus. So in verse 5, the, the beginning point here is what I call the start. He says, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. So the start here of spiritual life and spiritual growth is our faith. You notice here, faith is already present. And in fact, we don't supply the faith. God supplies the faith. We see that back in verse 1. To those who've received a faith as the same kind as ours. So faith is the foundation or the starting point. It's the necessary ingredient that makes a person a believer. I mean, you're not a believer if you don't believe, right? You have to have faith. Now, as I said a couple weeks ago, and I've mentioned this morning already, God gives us saving faith as a gift, yet, you, yet we believe. So you say, well, how does this work? Well, we believe the gospel. We trust in Jesus Christ and take him to be our Savior. But we understand from Scripture that we believe because God has gifted to us the ability uh, to believe. We exercise faith because we've been gifted with the ability to believe. But the point here is faith is the first step. It's the starting point in a life that follows Christ. You can't grow without life. There has to be life to grow. You can't build a building unless there's a, a solid foundation. And in the same way, you can't grow spiritually without faith. Faith is foundational and it's functional in the spiritual life. So faith is the start of everything God does in our lives because faith is what connects us to God. Writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He says, faith is the channel that connects us to the treasury of God's grace. All that treasury is there, but faith is the connecting line that connects us to the treasury of God's grace. 
And so as we start out in this, this section here of the book about spiritual growth, I just want to pause for a moment and ask you, have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? If you haven't, then everything else we're going to be talking about really doesn't apply to you because you don't have the foundation. You don't have life through faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, what you need to do is bow your head right where you sit and call upon the Lord to save you, to wash away your sins, and to give you eternal life, to make sure you have that starting point uh, in place. Call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says. Whoever does that will be saved. So faith is the foundation of our spiritual lives. But a foundation isn't worth much if you don't build on it. You've driven by before probably and just seen a foundation out there somewhere that somebody started and never finished. Um, A foundation is not worth a lot if you don't build upon it. So our salvation doesn't stop with faith. It begins there, but then we have to grow and add to our faith. And that's what we see in verses 5 through 7, all of these virtues that are added then upon the foundation of faith. Now, before we get to those virtues that are added, I want to talk about the secret to our spiritual growth. The start of it is faith, but there's a secret to it here in verse 5. Notice what he says, now for this very reason, applying all diligence. The word applying literally means to bring alongside. So you and I bring alongside our faith all diligence. What this means is utmost effort maximum effort. You and I must be energetic and enthusiastic in our pursuit of spiritual growth. We bring alongside the faith that God has given to us a maximum effort and intensity to be growing spiritually. Look, spiritual growth is not automatic. It takes work. It takes hard work. One man I read this week said it very succinctly. He said, true faith sweats. And I like that. It's work. Now think about this for a moment. Have any of you here just kind of ever drifted into physical shape? You just kind of sat around and didn't do anything, and man, you just got solid, and your muscles grew, and and you gained more endurance? It never happens like that. If if it does with you, come, come see me. I'd love to talk with you. In fact, you go the other way, right? And it's, it's discouraging because you can work out all the time, and you take a week off, and you go back, and you get sore, and you feel like you're starting all over again. But look, we, we don't get into shape physically by just drifting along and being idle. You get into shape by diligence and discipline and dedication, not by drifting. And you have to be disciplined and dedicated in exercise and in eating. I remember years ago when I first started lifting weights when I was 16 years of age, I used to go to a gym down on, on May Avenue. It was one of the only ones in town. And it was back when they'd have these big signs there, no pain, no gain. I mean, there were some big guys in there that I watched uh, work out and, and that I uh, idolized back in the day, but that was hard work. And what he's saying here is, you and I have to pursue Christ with all we have if we're going to grow spiritually. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take work. It's going to take sweat and labor. I like what Charles Spurgeon said years ago. He said, a man cannot be idle and have Christ's sweet company. Christ is a quick walker. And when his people would talk with him, they must travel quickly too, or else they will soon lose his company. I like that. Christ is a quick walker. He's he's going along quickly, moving. And you and I need to be moving with him, diligently following Christ full throttle. There's no time in life spiritually for you and for me uh, to be idle. 
I read a story uh, this last week about Teddy Roosevelt. I'd never read this before. Maybe you don't know it either. Back in October of 1912, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, the, the bull moose party, he was campaigning for the White House. And a would-be assassin came up and shot him at point-blank range with a 32 caliber pistol. And the bullet lodged two inches down inside of his chest. But that didn't stop him from making his speech. After being shot, he actually got up on the stage and he said this, the bullet is in me now, so I won't be able to make a very long speech. But he went on to speak for 53 minutes. And when he got finished, he was standing in a pool of his own blood. And then they finally took him and got him some medical attention. Now, that's maximum effort. That's somebody that's intense. In fact, it's said about Roosevelt, I mean, he had this ritual every night before he would go to bed, and it says about him, when he would finally get ready to go to sleep, it says he would energetically fall asleep. I mean, he was just a, a bundle of energy. He was a man who was, who was on the go. But that's what you and I need in our spiritual lives. We need that kind of drive and that kind of intensity. We need to attack our spiritual life uh, with, with vigor. Now, it's important to remember, though, that in our spiritual lives, we're not the one who does it all on our own. We cooperate with God. But it does take maximum effort on our account. So here, here's the good news of the spiritual growth process. God is powerfully at work in your life and in my life if we know Christ. But you and I must make every effort to work out what he's working in us. You see, the spiritual life, or what the Bible calls sanctification, is a cooperative effort. What did Paul say in, in Philippians chapter 2? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is God who is in you, both the work and the will of His good pleasure. So God is working in me, His good pleasure and His will, but it's my job to work out what God is working in. And again, notice it's the word work. It's work. It's labor. Over in uh, the book of Colossians, in uh, Colossians chapter 1 and uh, verse 29, I love what Paul uh, says there. He says, for this purpose, I labor striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So God is, is working mightily within me, but then I'm striving and laboring to work out what God um, is working in. But, but the point here is, is these qualities, we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks, these virtues, uh, self-control and, and knowledge and perseverance and godliness, they don't come automatically. They require hard work. And none of them are optional. And they need to be integrated into uh, the life of every believer here this morning. Now, let me ask you this question. How much effort do you really put into your spiritual growth? How often do you even think about that, about how you're growing spiritually? Look, a lot of us put a lot of effort maybe in our clothes and how we look and those kinds of things. Maybe we put a lot of effort into our house and decorating it. Maybe we put a lot of effort into our financial portfolio or uh, the stock market or our business or maybe into our hobbies, into golf, or whatever it may be. We put all kinds of maximum effort into those things, but we really never think about our life spiritually and the effort and the intensity we're putting into our spiritual growth. And that's really the most important thing about you and about me. The best thing you can do for God, the best thing you can do for your spouse, for your children, for your family, for people in this church, in your spiritual life. And you say, well, okay, if we're working out what God has worked in us, what is it going to look like if we're growing spiritually like this? Now, that brings us to the steps. We've got the start. 
We've got the secret, and now we have the steps. We're going to look at this over the next couple of weeks, these seven building blocks to Christian maturity and Christian growth. These are kind of the nucleus, if you will, of Christian character. This is what a distinctive Christian character looks like. These are seven qualities to be added to faith. Again, we already have the faith. So these other seven qualities after that are are, are what is built upon that foundation. Now you notice it says here, now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, we already have that, supply moral excellence. Now some translations say add. Some others say supplement. In other words, this is what we're to be adding now to faith in our spiritual life and growth. So the Christian life is a matter of addition. It's a matter of adding. We have to learn to add. Now you'll notice in this list that faith is first and love is last there at the end of verse 7. And in the middle there is perseverance, or you could call that hope. So you can have faith and hope and love here gathered together uh, within these virtues. Now, he says here that to, to our faith, we're to supply moral excellence. Now, that word supply is a great word in the Greek. It's the word epikorigeo, and, and it comes from the idea of a korigos, and a korigos was a person back in that day. They'd put on their big plays and music festivals who would fund uh, the play and the chorus and all the things that took place. They were called a choregos. Now, we get our word choreographer from that. Now, in our thinking today, the choreographer is kind of the person that plans the music and the dance steps and all of that. But in that day, the choregos was the person who supplied the money for these, uh, great, uh, these great music and drama festivals to take place. And wealthy people vied for the opportunity to be the choregos. And it was their turn to be the Korogos. They would lavishly supply uh, the chorus and the play with everything that they needed. And kind of their reputation was at stake for how generous they were. So this word here, epikorigeo, carries the idea of being abundantly generous. And so what he's saying here is applying all diligence, bringing aside utmost effort in your faith that we already have now as the foundation lavishly supply moral excellence. And then you could say, and lavishly supply to that knowledge. And then lavishly supply self-control. The word supply is only used there that one time in verse 5, but it's assumed six additional times. And so you and I are to be lavishly supplying these things in our spiritual lives as God's working in us. So this is a list of virtues that will be found in a healthy, growing Christian life. Now, as you read through this, it says, you know, you got faith and then add moral excellence and then add knowledge. He's not saying that you just work on one of these traits, work on moral excellence till you get that down perfectly, and then you go to, then you go to knowledge. And then when you get knowledge perfectly down, then go to self-control. If we waited to do that, we'd never move on, right? We'd never get past moral excellence, But these aren't sequential so much of do this one and then do that one. They're more simultaneous. These are virtues we're to be working on and growing in uh, constantly in our spiritual lives. Now, these seven virtues have been given a lot of names. They've been called the ladder of virtues. They've been called uh, the building blocks of the Christian life. But what I want to do this morning is look at kind of the the first three rungs on this ladder, 
And uh, for us to ask ourselves, are these qualities present and increasing in my life? Now, the first one here is moral excellence in verse 5. It's often translated virtue. I mean, it's a difficult word to translate, and so we, we won't spend as much time on this quality as we will the next two, because it, it's kind of a more difficult term to really get your mind around. I mean, it was used back in that day of land that was fertile and ready for planting. I mean, a, a land that was free of weeds and rocks, and the soil was pure and rich, and was ready to fulfill its purpose. So from that comes the idea that if we're going to fulfill God's purpose in our life, we have to have soil that's rich and that's ready, and the weeds and the rocks and those things have been removed. The impurities are out of our lives. So we have a quality life, if you will, an excellent moral life uh, that God can take over uh, and, and God can use. That's really the idea of this word moral excellence. It's a person of virtue. It's a quality person, a person who has integrity and a person who has goodness, someone who strives in their life uh, to be uh, above reproach. Whenever I think about this word moral excellence, I always think about Daniel in the Old Testament. Over and over again, it says of Daniel, he was a man with an excellent spirit. Whatever pagan king came to power, Daniel always rose to the top. And he was trusted. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of, uh, of great moral character and great virtue. So the first trait that you and I need to have in our lives is we need to have moral excellence, to constantly be removing the weeds, the rocks, the impurities uh, from our lives. That's the first step. Now, the second character trait we need to add to our faith is knowledge. Now, we pointed out this is one of the key words in the book of 2 Peter. It's used 16 times in its various forms. In fact, we've titled this whole series, Know and Grow, because that's really what this book's about, knowing and growing. Now, some have pointed out that moral excellence means you clean your life of that which is impure, and now we move to knowledge to fill the life. So you kind of get out the impurities, you get the junk out and become morally excellent, but then you fill the life uh, with knowledge. But, but the point is, you and I have to know in order to grow. We have to be growing in our knowing if we're going to become more and more uh, like the Lord Jesus. Knowledge is essential to a healthy, growing spiritual life. There's no spiritual growth without knowledge of God and knowledge of the Scriptures. Um, years ago, uh, George Beverly Shea, who was uh, the soloist, many of you remember him, the soloist for the Billy Graham Crusades, somebody asked him what he knew about God. And he said this, not much but what I do know has changed my life. And I like that. Somebody would ask me what I know about God, I might be tempted to say not much either. We just scratch the surface in our knowledge of an infinite God. But I hope we can all say, I may not know much, but what I know has changed my life. Because it's knowledge of God through His Word that changes us and transforms us. And that means you and I need to know the Bible and we need to know doctrine. Now, I know here this morning we have different levels of education and learning and desire to read and all these various things. But with whatever capacity that God has given to each one of us, you and I need to study the Bible and we need to learn doctrine. If you go all the way back to the very first church that was formed in, in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, uh, the uh, uh, you know, Jerusalem Bible Church, if you want to call it that, what is the very first thing it says in Acts 2.42 that the people did? They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and doctrine. 
That was the heart muscle, if you will, of the early church, was giving heed to the doctrine and the teaching of the apostles. Uh, the end of Second Peter is going to tell us we're to be growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you and I need a hunger and a desire to grow in the knowledge of Christ, in the knowledge of His Word, and the knowledge of important doctrines in the Bible. We need to be diligently, passionately pursuing knowledge. But let me add this, and this is important, not just head knowledge, but experiential knowledge, living it out. It's not just knowledge for the sake of knowing stuff to cram in our brains, but we certainly need head knowledge, but the head knowledge needs to ultimately become heart knowledge. So what we're talking about here is understanding the truth of God properly and then applying that and living that out in our lives. That's what true knowledge is. Now you say, well, okay, I understand that I need knowledge. Well, how do I get it? How do I grow in knowledge? Well, let me give you just a few things that I hope will be helpful. One is you're doing one of them, I think, this morning by being here on Sunday mornings. Be here regularly as we open the Word of God and systematically go through and study different books and different topics uh, in, in the Word of God. We have adult Bible fellowships you can go to that alternate with the times of our services. You can go there and fellowship with people and learn uh, the Word of God and learn how to apply it to your life together. Um, avail yourself of Bible studies here in our church. Um, yesterday we had about 200 men out in the lobby out here in our Man Up study. Uh, we do that the first Saturday morning of every month. We gather together as men and we study together and fellowship together. We have women's Bible studies here at the church, several of them. We have uh, the 2-7 Bible study series, an excellent uh, series to be in for discipleship and spiritual growth. So a lot of opportunities for you to learn and to grow. Um, get some good Bible commentaries. I know I mention this often, but one of my favorite ones, Warren Wiersbe's two volumes, the Old Testament's in a volume, the New Testament's in a volume. Buy that and read through it as you study a book of the Bible. Um, there's a, a one-volume book, the Moody Bible Commentary. It's one volume, the whole Bible. Excellent commentary to, to read to supplement your study. Uh, get a good theology book and read it. You say, well, I've never read a theology book. Well, let me give you a good one, Charles Ryrie, Basic Theology. It's an easy book to read. Um, you can just go through and find out the, the different areas of systematic theology and begin to grow and, and learn in doctrine. But let me say this, probably the most important way to grow in your knowledge is time alone with God. To read your Bible in quiet time and spend time with God to grow in knowledge of Him. But just like any other relationship, if you want to come to know God and who He is, you have to spend uh, time with Him. You're never going to grow unless you spend time with God. I was uh, reading a book by Steve Farrar some time ago. A lot of you know him, a, a well-known uh, a men's ministry speaker. And uh, he was, tells a story about he had breakfast with a young pastor recently, he says. And the young pastor asked him, how do you live your life? That's a pretty good question. How do you live your life? How do you live your life spiritually? And he said, I'd never been asked that for before. So I asked him to clarify. And he said, well, you're here this weekend doing a men's conference. You travel a lot. You teach men's Bible studies in Dallas. You write books. How do you do all that? What do you do to stay on track and to make sure that you're growing spiritually? And Steve Farrar said, I thought about it for a moment, and then I said this. This is a classic line. I live my life out of a red leather chair and a black leather Bible. That's a great statement. And then he explained that 
He has a set schedule. I get up in the morning, get a cup of coffee, get out my black leather Bible, sit down in my red leather chair, and I get my morning briefing from my commander-in-chief. And he lays out here kind of how his Bible study method is. But he says, I settle into my red leather chair with my black leather Bible most every morning. And then he says this, it's the cockpit of my life. It's the cockpit of my life. He says, I set the course of my day in that red leather chair. I recalibrate my life. He says, that red leather chair is more than a chair. It's an altar where I bow and do business with the Lord. Every one of us here need a time and a place when we, when we get together with the Lord and have a, a, a Bible and a place where we meet with God. Um, for me, it's a, I have a black leather Bible like he does. It's an NIV, a beautiful Bible that I have near my chair at home that I read from. And my, I have a brown leather chair that I sit in, so I could kind of relate to this. And I, I actually do, um, I study a lot during the day, but I do my own just personal reading of the Scriptures at night. And I thought about it this week. Um, actually, the brown leather chair I sit in at night, my wife Cheryl sits in in the morning. That's when she does her Bible reading in there. And so she does her Bible reading, and she has a, a kind of another religious experience with coffee in the morning. But I'm not a coffee drinker, so I don't know any idea about that. But it's, uh, it's quite a big deal anyway around our place. But she sits in that brown leather chair in the morning, and I, I thought about that this week. It's the same chair, kind of the same cockpit. She's there in the morning. And I go in there in the evening. And it kind of brings our lives together, if you will, around the Word of God. But I want to encourage you this morning to find a time and find a place, a black leather Bible, a red leather chair, and spend time with God and allow God to speak to you through His Word and you come to know Him. You apply what you learned there and go out and live it in your life. Now you say, well, why is growing in knowledge so important? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts. It helps us to detect and denounce error. One of the reasons that Peter talks so much about knowledge in this book is the second chapter, he's going to go and talk all about false teachers. So you and I need to, to have knowledge so that we can detect and, and denounce error that would stunt our growth. Another reason is it gives you confidence and consistency in your spiritual life. Ignorance of God and His Word promotes instability. What does Paul say in the book of Ephesians about people who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine? There's, there's no knowledge and stability in their life. And another thing that knowledge will do growing in knowledge is, is it will intensify your worship. A quote I read this week ministered to me. The person said, the more you know, the more you have to worship. A lot of people who are Christians don't have much to worship because they don't know much about God. The more you know, the more you have to worship and I want to have all to worship that I can with our infinite God. And then one other thing I'd mention, just an importance of growing, is growing in your knowledge of God and His Word will sustain you in times of crisis. When times of crisis come, and you may be in a crisis right now in your life, when a time of crisis comes and everything starts moving in your life, you're going to want to reach out and have something solid to grab hold of. And all you're going to ultimately find is God and what you know about Him and the truth in His Word. And the sad thing is, if you haven't been making regular deposits into the account, when you need to come make that big withdrawal someday, the check may come back insufficient funds. You don't want that to happen. You and I need to be making regular deposits into the bank of knowledge and the bank of application in our lives 
So when our world begins to fall down and crumble around us, we can make the largest withdrawal we need of knowledge of God and who he is and the promises um, he's made to us. So look, we have faith this morning. Those of of us here that know Christ, we have our faith. We're to add to that moral excellence. We're also to be adding to that knowledge, knowledge of God and his word. But the third trait here is self-control. Self-control. The Greek word here, self-control, literally means to grab a hold of or to grasp. It means to grab something in your hands. So it's similar to us saying to somebody who's real emotional or out of control, get hold of yourself, right? So what he's saying here is get hold of yourself. Uh, This word is used in the New Testament of the importance of controlling and reining in our passions and our desires. Self-control regulates desires and impulses. Uh, Self-control involves wanting to do one thing and yet choosing to do another thing. In other words, we substitute responses to a situation. I want to respond like this, but I substitute a different response. So for me, instead of uh, you know, eating a bowl of ice cream, which is my favorite thing, you eat a piece of fruit. Or in my case, then I usually just eat nothing if I can't have that. <laughs> but, it, but it's controlling your passions rather than being controlled by them. And look, when you think about it in your life, few things are more important than self-control. And I would just say to all of us who are parents and grandparents, there are a few things that we need to teach our children uh, more important than self-control. Because a lack of self-control leads to a life that's out of control. And we've all seen that in people who grew up and never learned self-control. A lack of self-control leads to a shipwrecked life. Because self-control really affects about everything we do. Now remember, when you think about self-control, self-control is really spirit control. Because in Galatians 5, part of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. So as we yield our lives to the Spirit and depend on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces self-control, and then we work that self-control out in our lives. So it's ultimately the Spirit who allows us to get a grip on ourselves and master our feelings and rein in our desires. So part of being a self-controlled person is daily depending upon and leaning upon the power of the Holy Spirit who produces that self-control in and through our lives, and then we work it out in our lives daily. But still, it's a choice we have to make because He's working in us. We have a choice whether we work it out of our life or not. Max Lucado says this. He says, I choose self-control. I'm a spiritual being. After this body is dead, my spirit will soar. I refuse to let what will rot rule the eternal. I choose self-control. I'll be drunk only by joy. I'll be impassioned only by my faith. I will be influenced only by God. I will be taught only by Christ. I choose self-control. And you and I have to choose it. As we depend on the Spirit, He'll work in us to produce it. We have to choose to exercise it in all the various areas of life where we need to be under the control of the Spirit. All of you here know the name of uh, 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 Dwight Eisenhower, Dwight David Eisenhower, the president. Um, he was a very, uh, as a boy, he liked, didn't come, self-control didn't come naturally. When he went on to West Point, he ranked 125 out of 164 for discipline in his graduating class. But the, the writer in this story that I read said this, long before the supreme allied commander could lead the most powerful army the world has ever seen to defeat the Axis powers, a 10-year-old boy had to learn how to conquer his own soul. That's true for you and me. If we don't have self-control, 
our life's going to be out of control. One more anecdote about Eisenhower I think is interesting. When he was at West Point, he was a four-pack-a-day smoker. And one day he quit cold turkey. After four packs a day, quit cold turkey and never smoked again. Somebody asked him, how in the world did you do that? And he said, I simply gave myself an order. That's a true military man, right? He gave himself an order not to smoke again, an executive order, and he never smoked again the rest of his life. Look, I don't know what you may need to quit today, what you may need self-control over, but you may need to issue yourself an order. You may need to, to, to master lustful desires. If you don't master them, they'll master you. You may need to, to master pride or greed or anger. It may be looking at pornography or, or controlling your temper. But whatever it is today, you need to be mastered by the master, and that's the master key really to all of life. Not to allow the things external to us to control us, but to be controlled by the Spirit of God and then to work that self-control um, out in our lives. Uh, that would be a very important thing, I think. I, I do this often as I pray for my children and grandchildren. Um, but I pray especially for my grandchildren. God, as they grow up in this world we live in, that I give them self-control. Produce that uh, in and through their lives. We, we need it desperately. And uh, certainly, if we're going to pray that for them, we need to have it ourselves and be an example to them. Let me say one final thing about self-control, and here we'll close. But if you're working on something and trying to gain self-control over it, often it won't happen all at once. So let me just say this. If you mess up, don't give up. Learning self-control can be a process. Uh, you won't master it all at once. Uh, I, I love Proverbs 24, 16. I hope this will be an encouragement to someone here this morning who's struggling. It says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Uh, Keep going back to the Lord. Keep confessing your sin. Keep depending upon Him. Keep calling out to Him for help. Look, what have we said here this morning and what we've looked at? We've said that spiritual growth requires spiritual life. So the start of everything in your life and my life spiritually is faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. There has to be a, a strong foundation for us to build upon it. We've seen that the secret is diligence and discipline and dedication. It's maximum effort. It's being serious about growing spiritually in our lives. Now, we've seen at least the first three of these steps this morning, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control. That's what God desires in your life and my life as we progress spiritually. Let me close with this this morning. A lot of you know the name Jeb Stewart. He was a... a, a a, uh, general, he was a, uh, a soldier in the Confederate Army. And he was nicknamed the Eyes of the Army because he would go out and gra gather intelligence for Robert E. Lee. Had a, a, an ability to go out and sneak around and gather intelligence. But he was one of Robert E. Lee's most trusted soldiers. But after every mission, Jeb Stewart would submit his report to Robert E. Lee. And he would always sign it the same way, yours to count on, Jeb Stewart. What a way to write to your commander. I'm yours to count on. You can count on me. And I thought, what would that be like if we were able to say that to the Lord? We were able to say to our commander, Lord, I'm yours to count on. I'm yours to count on to give maximum effort, to be growing spiritually, to be seeking you, you to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness. To say to him, God, I'm yours to count on. I love you. I thank you for all you've done for me and given to me. And I want to know you and I want to live for you more than I want anything else in life. I'm yours to count on, to give, spirit, to give maximum effort in my spiritual life, to seek virtue, to pursue greater knowledge, 
to gain mastery and self-control. I'm yours to count on. I pray that will be true in our lives, that God can count on us to be growing spiritually and applying these things we've seen here this morning in our lives so we can be more like him. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now this morning. And I'd ask if there's anyone here this morning who's never built that foundation to their life, they put their faith in Jesus, they trust in him, take him to be their savior. Father, for those of us who know you, I pray we'd be serious about our spiritual lives. We wouldn't be idle. We'd be lazy, lethargic. That we'd give maximum effort to be growing spiritually, working out what you're working within us. Father, help us to be serious about our spiritual lives. Father, now as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our Savior. We pray, O God, that You'll minister to us now by your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.